Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're having a great week so far. Um, we've got a great guest for this show today. Um, you know, I think all of us as nonprofit leaders or maybe a board member or certainly a staff person, you want to grow in your ability to be a better leader, a better fundraiser, uh, just better at what you do as a nonprofit leader. And oftentimes we'll look to reports, um, data that helps us become better. And I've ran across, I think, one of the more powerful uh, reports lately anyway, regarding philanthropy and giving and trends in fundraising. And it's called the Cicero Social Impact uh, Giving State Report. And the author of that, um, among other people, he's the managing director, I should say, is Jacob Allen. He's a partner with the Cicero Group and the managing director of Social Impact Practice. He partners with leading foundations, nonprofits, and social enterprises to improve impact through strategy, performance monitoring, and impact evaluation. Um, over the last 15 years, he's worked with mission-driven organizations, including leading corporate philanthropies, uh, international NGOs, and nonprofit providers. And then for nearly a year, Jacob has been working on a comprehensive report about philanthropy, specifically in the state of Utah, but it has principles that really apply to every state in our country. Um, so I'm going to leave you with a report link that you can click on to uh, as you look at this on social media, and you'll just click on the link, and it's a free download. Download, and I strongly encourage you to read it yourself, share it with your staff, share it with your board. There's some great insights that I think will really help you navigate through the new challenges we're facing as nonprofit leaders. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, you've been the managing director for the Giving State Report. And uh, I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I serve on the Utah Nonprofit Association Board. And we're really looking at that as one of our key uh, points of data to help us learn more about philanthropy and, and giving patterns. And so I've looked through this report and it's fascinating. Um, so talk a little bit more about the process by which you took to gather the data in the first place. Well, good. Well, first of all, Rob, it's a really impressive pleasure to be here with you on, on this podcast, and I appreciate the opportunity to share some of these things and um, look forward to learning from your listeners as they give feedback. So, well, as it comes, as with regards to the Giving State Report, um, it really started as a conversation or a series of conversations. There were a number of people over the last couple of years who were key stakeholders in, this, in the social sector in Utah, um, funders, nonprofit executives, others who really were interested in and frankly a little bit frustrated by some of the things they saw in this in the sector, um, not in terms of people's giving or interest in contributing, but rather in terms of the ways in which uh, giving happened or the things that giving focused on. And so we, we decided to jump into that conversation and, and do what we do best at Cicero, which is bring a lot of data and analytics to bear. And so we, <clears throat> excuse me, we took um, a multi, uh, multimodal approach 
we wanted to gather the perspectives of all of the participants in the in the sector. So we conducted 50 interviews of everyone from nonprofit leaders to individual and institutional funders to government agencies and leaders, um, and then to experts uh, throughout the sector to understand what they thought the key issues were and where they saw opportunities for improvement or what they thought the public or or interested readers would be uh, would need to know. Following those interviews, we also conducted three separate surveys. Um, one of the general public, anybody who, who donates at whatever level in the state, as well as of individual funders, individuals or families, and of um, nonprofit executives. And that totaled over 800 responses uh, to those surveys collectively. And that gave us a lot of insight uh, into firsthand what people were seeing and experiencing and, and interested in. Um, and then finally, we did um, some analysis of existing literature, both in Utah and elsewhere, as well as uh, analysis of publicly available data on nonprofits and funders, um, get, giving levels, focus areas, geographies, et cetera. So it was quite a, quite a bit of research that we pulled together and tried to, to synthesize into this report. Well, and there's no doubt about that. And that's my encouragement to all my listeners. You need to check this out. We're going to give a link uh, with this podcast post, and you can just click on the link and find a little bit more information because I think you said it well. It's so comprehensive. You really took a lot of time. Uh, you asked a lot of questions. You, you interact with a lot of different people at different, um, you know, different sectors, if you will. So I think it gave a more comprehensive approach uh, to this report. So give us a quick overview now. What are the main results of these, this report, and what did you find? Well, first of all, it's something that we sort of already knew that had been shown before is that people in, in Utah are extremely generous in their giving. Um, so Utah has been known to be number one in individual giving levels and in voluntary service levels. And so that was really exciting and, and something we knew and, and wanted to understand and unpack a little bit better. Um, in Utah, a lot of that giving is prompted by uh, religious beliefs and values, and we we wanted to understand that. Um, so there's some interesting insights with respect to um, different denominations and and the and their members and how and to whom they give. Um, so that's that's an interesting insight, I think, as well. And, and as is true elsewhere, the more religious uh, people are in the state, the more likely they are to give. And, and give at higher levels of rates. But the, at the same time, the more likely they are to give um, based on their religious affiliation uh, to to different certain uh, organizations. So that's an interesting dynamic that, that is, exists in Utah and, and elsewhere. Another interesting finding um, that, that I think was really telling was the number of organizations and the size of organizations that exist in the state. Um, so there are approximately 9,700 registered nonprofit organizations in, in Utah. Um, as we dug into those and unpacked that, over almost half of those um, have revenue of less than $25,000 per year. Um, and when you think about that, there's almost very little that can actually happen <laughs> in terms of impact or in terms of service levels at $25,000 a year. Sure, there may be a few exceptions, but by and large, that's that's very little that's happening. And so what that means is that while it feels like there's a lot of nonprofit organizations in the state, um, there's not actually as much going on in terms of or, uh, on a per-organization basis. Um, and secondly, and this is something we talked about extensively, is, is that there's a lot of duplication and fragmentation in the sector because there's lots of small organizations that start up to do one particular thing but don't recognize 
that there are others that are doing almost almost or exactly the same thing as what they are trying to do, but none of them or few of them actually get to scale. So that's an interesting thing. I think that the biggest takeaway, though, that is kind of an umbrella over everything else is what we call the giving mindset. Um, And it's this mindset that uh, I've seen elsewhere in the country and around the world in my in my career, um, but is particularly acute in Utah, in which people give for a variety of reasons, but very rarely or not as as frequently as you'd like, is that giving um, prioritized by the impact it will achieve in the community or in the lives of the individuals of the people it's trying to serve. So giving is done because of, of relationships uh, with, they have with others that are doing work or because they're passionate about a particular cause or because uh, they see a need in the neighborhood. And all of those are, are great. There's nothing wrong with those motivations. But um, impact, making sure that there is, in fact, a difference that occurs um, is not at the top of enough people's list. And I think that mindset that um, once switched changes the way in which giving happens pretty significantly. And we heard that from both from nonprofit executives, from leading funders, from a lot of different people. That's really interesting to hear about, you know, some of the redundancy issues and that there's several small nonprofits under 25,000. Like you said, that that is difficult to patch together enough uh, resources and people to make a measurable impact. Do you feel like we have too many nonprofits, uh, not just in Utah, but just across the board in our country? You know, I, I I think that that's an interesting and uh, provocative question. I think the answer is we don't have enough good, high-quality, high-impact nonprofits. Um, so on average, would I like for there to be more nonprofits? Yeah, probably, actually, because there's still great needs in our communities in, in many, many different ways. Um, and so organizations that serve those needs and make a difference, yes, we need more of that. The problem is when um, new organizations start up every day that don't recognize what else is happening in that same space. So, for example, um, around the country, there are now 40,000 different organizations that are serving veterans or military personnel and, and veterans affairs issues. That number is extraordinary and wonderful in the sense in, insofar as there are that many people who care about serving our veterans. At the same time, there's just massive duplication and, and fragmentation in that space such that in, an, in a given community, you might have a few dozen organizations trying to serve veterans that are not talking to each other, and that creates confusion for veterans. It makes it difficult for them to find high-quality, consistent services for them to 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 get the, the help that they need in the different ways. And so it's not to me a question of the number of organizations, but rather it's a question of the quality of the organizations. And by that, I mean the extent to which they focus on impact and outcomes, the extent to which they're coordinated and talking to other organizations, and the extent to which they're, they're learning from each other rather than duplicating or just simply being unaware of what's happening elsewhere. Oh, very helpful. Okay. And as nonprofit leaders read through the report, what do you think they'll be most surprised by? Um, I think a few things, some of which I highlighted a, a little bit. I think the, ex- the degree of fragmentation is a big issue. Uh, I won't uh, beat that, <laughs> belabor that point too much. Um, I think the motivations of funders is an interesting one as well. So, um, so for example, less than half of organizations, or sorry, of, of funders, 
choose the organizations they serve based on the outcomes data or impact evaluation work that those organizations have. Um, so more than half of giving, in effect, is going to organizations that have not been proven to be effective. Um, they may well be, but uh, they have not been able to focus on that or show that yet. So that's an interesting thing to me, a telling thing to me. Um, I think another issue that that is increasing, that more and more people are calling attention to, not just in Utah but elsewhere, is the issue of, of overhead or, un, or restricted grant giving. Um, so there are many people who use the percentage of a nonprofit's overhead, uh, financial overhead, as an indication of its quality and try to see that that overhead percentage um, goes down as much as possible. Um, but in fact, that's, that can be very problematic because, in, in, in essence, it starves organizations of the funds they need to, to be effective. Um, and so in Utah, for example, um, half of people are um, giving unrestricted grants, but only half. Um, and so on one hand, it's great that there are, that are funders, there are funders who say, we believe in the mission of this organization and in its capabilities, and we'll give you the money, and you do with it what you think is best to, to drive change. Um, but half of funders are restricting their funds to specific things, and while it's okay to have a, a personal passion or an interest area, um, that restriction more often than not kind of ties the hands of the organization to be able to move and act in a way that will will truly drive change and at scale. That's wonderful. Okay, very interesting. All right, now your research and work are based around four impact principles, as you described them, which are in short, outcome, evidence, collaboration, and voice. Talk more about these. How did you narrow down these principles to these four, if you will? Um, yeah, what was the process of narrowing them down to those? I wish I could say that there's a, a super rigorous and sophisticated way of, of narrowing that down. I think over the years, those have become, and again, through this, this research in particular, those, those seem to become um, the things that will drive people's uh, activities and behaviors more than anything. Um, so, for example, the outcomes, focused on outcomes first and foremost, is will change a funder's or a nonprofit organization's mindset more than anything, in my opinion. Once you shift from counting the number of people you serve or the dollars that are given away, um, and instead say, wait a minute, what actually happened as a result of that? Um, did we change lives and how much and how often and for how many people? Um, then your attention, the things you do as an organization, your willingness to stick to or your existing services or improve them, um, your ability to speak to funders, all of that changes once you make that one fundamental shift. Of course, that requires evidence. Um, evidence, I think, is not something where you have to always have the, the gold standard of impact evaluation, um, say a, a random control trial or something like that. But rather, when, when you're looking for evidence um, to prove and or disprove what you think is the right way to do things, um, that means you'll constantly be in a, in a continuous learning cycle. You'll be looking to learn, not just based on personal experience um, or beliefs or, or passions, but rather based on what's actually happening or what others have shown to have happened. Um, and then the collaboration piece, I think, is, is a fairly 
obvious one. Um, too often, organizations, whether funders or non nonprofits, get in the cycle of doing their own thing, and, and I think it's understandable. It's difficult work. It's hard to pick your head up and um, look around and see what else others are doing because that takes more time and money and effort. Um, but that collaboration can make greater change when it's when it's done well. And then finally, voice, I think, is something that this is maybe a, a personal uh, belief of mine, um, but it's also something I think is very, very important. The idea is that we too often um, assume that we know what is best for the people we're serving, um, and we do things to them or send, uh, do things for them without really getting a sense for what is most valuable and what is most needed uh, in their minds and their perspectives. And that 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 approach of ignoring what individuals, the voice of the beneficiaries or clients or, or communities that we're serving, um, has has a lot of detrimental effects. And I could go on at length about that, but there are a lot of reasons to think that, that it's really important to understand and listen to the voice of those we're trying to serve. Well, my guest today is Jacob Allen. He's a partner with Cicero Group and managing director of the social impact practice, partnering with leading foundations, nonprofits, and social enterprises to improve their impact. Now, you may be listening to this for the first time. You can go to a nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and you'll see a whole list of different guests we've had. We've had some really interesting leaders in the field of, um, you know, whether it be philanthropy, uh, leadership, uh, nonprofit world leaders, um, but there's a lot of different podcasts. I think you'll really enjoy listening listening to them. And the other thing we ask you, if particularly if you listen through iTunes, if you really have found this podcast to be helpful, is give us a rating. Let us know what you think. Uh, give us some feedback. That would really help us to continue to provide the podcast that you're looking for, and it'll help get the word out more about this podcast. Thanks for listening. And now back to my interview with Jacob. We've had other guests on the show that have uh, talked about the importance of outcomes. And so it's interesting. You certainly confirmed that through the data and you've obviously done a lot of different research. Um, in fact, we had um, the authors of the book called Engine of Impact. And that was one of the things that they really came out of their research was the importance of outcomes. And then we've talked to other guests um, who've talked about this millennial generation who really, really want to maybe emphasize outcomes even more than, say, a previous generation. Um, so let's do, dig a little deeper into the outcomes focus. That's one of your key impact principles. Um, why is it so important, in your opinion, from what you found with the data, to prioritize outcomes as a measure of success for nonprofits? It's a great question. It's, a, it's a, something that's packed with lots of detail and nuance and, and technical challenges, um, not only why, but also how. You know, the, here's the way I think about it. Um, in a private sector, in the in the commercial markets, um, there's a one a uniform, relatively uniform set of outcomes that that businesses and are looking for, um, and it's profit and revenue, you know, are the top of the list. Um, one, the fact that there are those standardized outcomes make it easier for people to pay attention to and track and monitor that. The second thing is that if you don't do well on those outcomes, you'll go out of business, um, or it'll you know it'll be very difficult to stay in stay in business. Um, those market making um, incentives don't exist as much in the social sector, and so you know the excellence in the social sector is self imposed, and nobody gets into but um, because they simply want to say, you know, I did a lot or I spent a lot of money or I gave a lot of money away, um, I guess not a lot of people. Most people get into this, this work because they truly care about the people they serve, 
the issue that they're working on, the communities they live in. And they want those to be better. They want to, they want to be improved. Um, and outcomes, a focus on outcomes is really the only way to know whether or not that is truly happening, whether you're getting to that ultimate metric of success. Um, and so without that, you end up spending a lot of time looking at other things or focusing on other things and assuming, and this is, I think, another key, we make a big assumption that because we're, we're doing good, we're actually achieving good things or we're making good things happen. So just because I show up and volunteer with a, with a refugee population on a weekend, does that actually change? It makes me feel good. I enjoy the experience. But does that actually change um, their lives? Does it improve their situation? Um, and the same could be true for any effort, whether it's whether it's volunteer or donations or or organizations. So that that focus on outcomes, I think, is really important. Um, and in cases where outcomes have been measured rigorously, too often uh, we find that there isn't a positive change, and in some cases there are actually negative detrimental effects that occur, even when people are have the best intentions. Um, so that's you know the do no harm is 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 a key issue that you want to avoid. Um, and then you also want to make sure that you're making the most out of out of what you're doing. And the only way to do that is to focus on outcomes. What's so critical about having nonprofits actively collaborate and coordinate together in order to achieve their objectives? And just a little background, you know, there is uh, United Way here locally in uh, Utah has done quite a, a great job in terms of um, really improving the collective impact, if you will, when they're bringing government together, even the for-profit world and certainly the nonprofit world together to address a big issue. And South Salt Lake here in Utah has been a great example. And as I understand it, that's been a model for the rest of United Way around the country um, in terms of how to bring uh, multiple factors and groups together, organizations together to meet a really important need of a community, whatever that um, issue is. And so it definitely speaks to this collaboration, this coordination. So do you feel like... Is it an isolated thing that United Way has found that? Or is this you're seeing that the most effective nonprofits are the ones that are already collaborating and therefore they're even more successful because of the collaboration? Could you speak to that? I think it's really encouraging to see the level of collaboration that is starting to happen and is happening in different ways. Um, Even the fact that there is a a name to an idea called collective impact that has got a lot of traction um, is really encouraging. And I think there are two reasons why collaboration is so so important, and especially for people, nonprofit organizations, and funders to be focused on. First of all, issues are complex. Um, social issues are challenging. And so, you know, when you think about homelessness or veterans affairs and care, or whether you think about early childhood education even, or any myriad, any of the myriad issues that, that people care about, every single one of those requires multiple uh, efforts and, and is driven by multiple causes. And so, um, no one organization is able to, to address everything that is needed in some of these complex issues. And so it might be the case that you can help a child uh, be better off in terms of his or her reading prior to reading skills or literacy skills prior to uh, kindergarten. But those organizations that help with reading may or may not be best at helping with um, emotional intelligence or security and safety or nutrition or any of the other issues that affect educational outcomes and lifelong outcomes. And so the first issue is no one organization is able to to tackle um, the entire range of, of these complex issues. 
The second reason I think collaboration is so important is that um, nonprofit organizations are strapped. <laughs> you know, there, it's no secret that organizations are typically under-resourced um, and, and don't have the capabilities and skills and funding and, and reach and network and so on that, that they would need, even if they could address the, the multifaceted range of things that, that go into solving these some of these issues. And so um, by partnering with other organizations, yes, it is – it does take some resources and effort, but by partnering together, they can expand the, the impact of what they are doing. Um, and so I think more and more organizations are seeing that um, and recognizing that and focusing on that going forward, and I think that's a very encouraging sign. It's something, however, that um, I would strongly advocate funders be aware of and, and actively involved in, both in coordinating their own funding um, uh, and also in enabling and encouraging nonprofits to coordinate with each other, but being willing to pay what it takes for them to be able to do that. Well, and you know, one of the things we've talked about on the show quite a bit is this generational shift and how that's impacting nonprofits. Now, your report doesn't necessarily speak to that directly, but there's certainly a lot of principles that come out of it that apply to this uh, change. And so one of the questions I was going to ask you is, do you believe from all the research you've done, the data you've collected, the way in which nonprofits as a whole now, not just uh, you know a couple of areas of nonprofits, but as a whole, as organizations, do you feel like they need to be organized and led differently in order to accommodate this, these changes we see in this next generation particularly coming up. Um, what would you say to that? You know, I, I do. Um, it's not necessarily revolutionary or uh, revolutionary change, but I do think that that we need um, a, a, a different type of approach. On average, <laughs> there are always great, great positive exceptions um, to what I'm about to say. But I think on average, the nonprofit sector needs to improve in terms of the way in which um, its leaders focus on on outcomes and the way in which they manage organizations. You know, I often th I often say that running a nonprofit is twice as difficult as running a business because, in effect, you're running two businesses and you're doing it um, at in a way that it no business wants to get involved in. You're doing it in issues that no business would get involved in because they're so difficult to tackle. And so um, we need leaders uh, of nonprofit organizations who are up to that challenge. Um, many times what happens is that is uh, individuals who are passionate about the cause and really effective at providing services on the front line, say as a caseworker or a teacher or a youth mentor or something like that, um, those most effective at providing those services directly are the ones that are promoted or end up uh, being in leadership positions. And that's great, but they, they may or may not have the management and leadership capabilities required for running complex organizations in a very complex dynamic environment and doing so in a way that um, both maximizes the, the funding and resources they have at their disposal, but also does that in a way that that truly ad addresses um, the core issues and, and drives impact. And so I think we do need to we need to see some greater, more sophisticated leadership in in the sector, uh, and that's that's challenging. At, at the same time, I think it is encouraging to see that a lot of the younger generation, the millennial millennial generation, um, is willing to do just that. So you have a lot of people coming out of you know really high quality or uh, education uh, backgrounds with management training and others. Um, that are willing to uh, go into nonprofit work or social enterprise activities um, and forfeit some of the, the higher salaries. And I think that's a really encouraging sign. So that I am optimistic that that type of change is going to happen over time. My guest today 
is Jacob Allen. He is a partner with Cicero Group and managing director of the social impact practice, partnering with leading foundations, nonprofits, and social enterprises to improve their impact. So Jacob, if my listeners want to know more about you and or the Giving State Report, where would you send them? Sure. Love to have people go to our website. It's Cicero, C-I-C-E-R-O, socialimpact.com. And then if they're interested in learning more about me, you're welcome to email me at jallen, J-A-L-L-E-N, at cicerogroup.com. It's been great. Jacob, thank you so much again for calling in. Really appreciate all you're doing to help us in the nonprofit sector. Thank you very much, Rob. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.